Welcome to the Jason Tim Podcast. Thank you guys so much for taking time out of your day to come and talk some hoops with Tommy and I. I am fresh off of a weekend of skiing in Colorado. Steph, uh, uh, Tommy's got his Steph Better hoodie here. As We're here. On this uh, Tuesday afternoon. I was just complaining to Tommy because I have put on just an absurd amount of weight on these stupid ski trips that, I, that I've been going on, uh, drinking too much and eating too much. And meanwhile, Tommy's on a cleanse. He was just telling me about his weekend on the beach where he was completely soberly looking off into the distance and contemplating life. Basically, yeah. I mean, I'm doing a, I usually do a sober month every year. Um, I happen to do it uh, January 15th, February 15th this year. Um, yes, yeah, good way to reset the body after the holidays, especially a lot of eating, a lot of drinking, a lot of being lazy. Um, probably need to cut off a few pounds. So yeah, man, just trying to live a healthy lifestyle. That's definitely the way to do it. I mean, like I, I have, to, so this year, 2021 is the year that I will turn 30 years old Same. and I have always been blessed to have a really good metabolism. And I think that that has played a significant role in the fact that even though I eat like absolute dog shit, I've been able to stay at a reasonable weight. Uh, but when I weighed in last night at 236 pounds, I realized that because I've been I've been on this crazy workout routine for like six weeks now where I've been working out like seven to eight times a week. I've been in the weight room four times and then I'm playing basketball Monday, Wednesday, Friday at 5 a.m. So I've been burning like on average, like several thousands of calories a day. But my eating habits haven't changed at all. And I think my metabolism is starting to slow down because I'm not seeing any progress there. So I need to get that all sorted out. But that said, back in town now um didn't miss too much aside we did manage to get to the hardened trade before i got out of town which is good but we are going to talk about that crazy laker warrior game last night we're going to talk about the first couple games of the james harden and brooklyn experience uh we are going to talk about uh, the milwaukee bucks and then if we have time, we're going to touch on the Indiana Pacers as well as, like I said, we're going to, we're going to touch on a lot of like big league wide stuff. And then each, each week, we're going to try to touch on a couple of teams with really nerdy stuff, more in-depth analysis that, uh, that is going to be more uh, catered to specific teams. And this week we're going to be doing Milwaukee and Indy. Um, but so last night was the latest example in one of my longstanding theories about basketball, which is that it is way, way better to get off to a bad start and try to kick it back into gear uh, and wake up than it is to uh, than it is to start great and to let your foot off the gas. And the, the analogy I'd use ironically is alcohol related because like when I was younger, I had a lot more energy, but as I'm older now, like it's funny, like if I, if I'm with some people and we're playing some golf and I have a couple of drinks on the golf course, it's impossible for me later in the day to try to have fun again. Because like once I kick it into that gear once and I shut it down, like it's over for me. Like I'm tired, I'm napping, I'm going to bed, whatever it is. And it's just it's kind of funny because it's the same thing with these with these older kind of veteran basketball teams, which the Lakers aren't overly old, but they do have a lot of veteran players. They When, when they really kick it into gear, it's really hard for them to kind of let their foot off the gas and then kick it into gear again. And I see that so often, particularly with this team, where they get off to a really good start, the first time out gets called, it's like 27 to 12, you know, with three or four minutes left in the first quarter. And then they just immediately relax because they just expect these teams to quit. And then they don't. And then they find themselves in a dogfight and they have to kind of kick it back into gear 
and there's just nothing there because they've already kind of they've already just let that slip that that mode that they can get into. So that was my original take. There's a lot more we're going to talk about with this game, but that was my original takeaway. What were your thoughts on last night's game? Uh, number one, I know exactly what you're talking about, drinking related. Like <laughs> at this point, if I, I I'll start drinking at I don't know one or two in the afternoon, I'm done by six o'clock. That's all I got, man. I'm, I'm going to pass out by six or seven o'clock, and I'm going to go to sleep. I'm too old for all that. We're going out. It's it's dude. It's tough. Like it's like it's just it's it's a it's a ride that you have to be on, and that's the thing. Like when you're when you're playing basketball, yep. and you're dialed in, and you stay on like and you stay on a string. That's uh, you see this a lot with the Lakers in the, in the last year's postseason when they would be really dialed in defensively. It's like when they ride the wave and they stay with it all game long, they're great. But as soon as they kind of slip off, it's really hard for them to get going again. And you're right. It's just like. It's just it's just human nature. It's just a natural Absolutely. human nature thing. Absolutely. And I I mean, I tweeted during the first half, like that was like honestly an embarrassing performance by the Warriors. It was a layup drill for much of that first half. And it was like, all right, this is gonna be a fifteen or twenty point game. Um, but this Warriors team is scrappy. Um, they they have a, a lot of younger guys who are kind of trying to make their way in the league. Wiggins, Ouvre, who have bounced around a little bit now. Wanamaker uh, and Bazemore are really good veterans. Damian Lee is a guy who's bounced around the league a little bit and is now making a little bit of a name for himself with the Warriors. And then obviously you have Stephen Draymond to, to cap it off and kind of lead the way. But this game also showed one of my longstanding points on basketball, and I tweeted about this last week. Typically, if you have a superstar on your team or two superstars like the Lakers do, if you get blown out, which the Lakers really don't, but the Warriors have a couple times, a blowout is typically on the role players. That typically means the role players didn't show up and do their job and the game gets out of hand early and it just kind of ends up being a double-digit loss. Close games typically come down to how your superstars perform. And last night, down the stretch, Steph and Draymond were better than LeBron and AD. And that's basically what it came down to. The role players on both teams did a good enough job to keep that game close. The Warriors' second unit, I thought, was outstanding all night. Those Pascal-led lineups are, are really something for teams to deal with for whatever reason. They're able to space the floor a little bit, and they basically just give him a runway to the rim, and he's really tough to stop going to the rim. He kind of gets tunnel vision sometimes, uh, but he is a monster finishing at the rim. And then as bad as I thought Steph was and Draymond for parts of the game too, they did a great job down the stretch. Draymond had a couple drives and finishes. Steph had that and one, and then obviously the step back over AD, um, and they they came out with a win somehow. I, I don't know how it happened. They, they were losing for 46 of the 48 minutes, basically. They didn't take the lead until... Uh, that Draymond right-handed layup going down the lane off the step pick and roll with about two and a half minutes left. So weird, weird game. But the fact from a Warriors standpoint, the fact that they're seven and six at this point, I'm almost ecstatic with, with that outcome. They've stolen a couple wins in Chicago. They stole one. They stole one against the Clippers and they've now stolen one, stolen one against the Lakers. Um, and I tweeted that I was shocked that this team is two and three against the LA teams at this point. And they really could be three and three if they would have beat the Clippers in that first game. So from a purely warrior standpoint, I'm pretty excited about where this team is considering how much room I still think they have to grow. Um, and Kelly Uber has just started playing well recently. If he can, can kind of continue how he's been playing, this team is going to be a lot better. Um, but there's, there's still a long, long way to go with this team. So, yeah. Yeah. So let's, let's start with the Lakers. Cause we, we are, or excuse me, the warriors. Cause we are, we are going to get to the Lakers at some point, but I do think it's important, especially with regular season basketball, I mean, you can you can look at specific matchups about what that playoff series might look like, but uh, it's easier to kind of look at each team and what they're going through in their specific circumstance. So the Warriors obviously had a lot more to play for last night 
and the Warriors obviously uh, uh, are in a different phase of their developmental uh, timeline. You know, like the Lakers know who they are. They, 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 even with these guys they've been bringing in, they're more or less filling in roles that already existed in previous iterations of the team. Like Schroeder is just a way better version of Rondo, but his role in the offense, he's doing what Rondo did on that team, just a more aggressive, better version of that, you know, but the, the team is constructed more or less the same. So their, their, their night to night process is different. This warrior team is building something right now. They don't really know what they're going to be yet, but they're building something right now. And, there are a couple of things like I always talk about a championship identity. It's it's like the it's the, the the two or three things that really define who you are and how that will inevitably uh, be what you lean on when the shit hits the fan later on in the playoffs. And you can kind of see this identity building with that warrior team. And I thought it was interesting last night, like with Kelly Oubre and with Andrew Wiggins. And with uh, Kent Bazemore and with Brad Wanamaker, they have a really, really quick team that uh, is a lot more athletic than previous iterations of, of, of this warrior team dynasty from years past. And that's the funny part because like, it's almost weird watching them because they don't even look similar in the sense that they're just faster and they're just, they're younger and they're leaner. And, and, and you can see them becoming this like high effort team that is extremely persistent, that plays into the ebbs and flows of the game. That's why they've had so many comebacks. Like they had a comeback against the Pistons. They had a comeback against the Clippers. They had a comeback against the Lakers. They're finding themselves down in these games and they're just, they're sticking to their identity and understanding that inevitably we're going to break through on the strength of the Steph and, uh, and Draymond pick and roll and just our effort guys from their bench. Their, their bench did their job of, of carrying them for stretches of that game when the Lakers starters were engaged and when they were bullying the, the Warrior starters. And it allowed them to linger around long enough so that Steph and Draymond could outplay LeBron and AD at the end of the game. But you could see the identity building. It's high effort. It's running a lot in transition. It's flying around wings with Oubre and Wiggins. And it's Steph making basketball decisions at the end of these games, which is getting them high-quality shots. And that's you could see that that's forming their identity. And that's the stuff you can build on because I don't think that they're a championship contender at this point. The reality is, is they lost to the Pacers and then they lost to the Nuggets and then they were getting their ass kicked by the Lakers and they managed to come back and win. But the truth is they've got a long way to go. But you can see the identity forming and you can start to talk yourself into like, okay, Wiseman doesn't really necessarily make sense, but he's this asset that we've built because he has shown flashes. Maybe we can move him for uh, another backup ball handler or maybe for another wing or a, a more veteran savvy big who's a little bit more usable in the short term. You can see it building. And I think that's exciting for Warrior fans because even though you're out of your freaking mind. If you think you're going to beat the Lakers in a playoff series right now, you can see from stuff from last night that, that just gives you a positive outlook on what, how this could inevitably end up working uh, in, in the future, especially when Clay gets back. Yeah. So I think a couple of things are interesting. This team is pretty far from their ceiling, even this year, you know, Clay's not coming back this year. We all know that, but I think this team is still pretty far from their ceiling from the standpoint of they've basically played 13 games together. This roster is almost entirely new especially when you consider that Steph and Draymond didn't really play with any of these guys last year. Draymond mm-hmm. played with a couple of them, but he was so mentally checked out for most of the year that you can't even really count those as games. So it's an entirely new roster around these guys. 
And I think you're correct in your in kind of your analysis of who they are at this point. They are a plucky team. I mean, they are really annoying to play against, I think. And that's only going to get more annoying as they get to know each other better and the effort becomes more consistent from the role guys as they understand their roles better. I think they really do have a chance to be one of the final four teams in the Western Conference. I'm not sure. Western Conference finals would be, uh, I think, an incredible outcome for this team. But I really do think they have a chance to be one of those final four teams in the West simply on their effort and then having – two of kind of the better closers in the game in terms of how they work in a tandem, right? That Steph Draymond pick and roll is something they're going to be able to go to against everybody. And even against Anthony Davis last night and Schroeder, who's been really good defensively this year, they were giving them issues. Steph got a couple open shots. Draymond got some open layups. And if they get the right lineups around those guys, they're still going to be tough to to stop offensively as long as they can get to the point where the games are close at the end. Um, So I think, like I said, they have a long way to go before they reach their ceiling, but they're going to continue building. And I think there's probably a couple roster moves they'll they'll make, especially if Marquise Chris doesn't seem like he's going to come back this year, which is up in the air. Um, He would help this team a lot right now because, like you've alluded to, Wiseman is talented, but he is really young and really green and really lost a lot of the time. And last night was one of those games where it's like, look, the talent is apparent on some plays, but this kid's also still 19. And he's still a long way from where he needs to be to help this team contend within – I would think the next two to three years, I could be wrong. Maybe he develops quicker than I'm thinking, but um, I don't see it at this point. But Marquise Chris would be a huge upgrade if they get him back. If not, they're probably going to pick up a big man off the waiver wire. I would hope they try to get some more shooting um, at this point, because a lot of these starts that where they're down 20 points are because you have two guys in Uber and Wiseman who don't really understand what Steve Kerr wants. They don't really have the basketball IQ to, to play in his system. So the, the solution would really be, just go to more spread, prick, and roll with that early group just so it's simplified, it's easier, and the roles are very, very defined. But I don't think Kerr's going to do that. So the other solution would be start somebody in place of Ubre and let him just crush second units because that's what he did last night. It was probably his most confident game because he got to play 12 or 15 minutes against the Lakers' second unit, and he had a couple of really nice moves to the rim. And then he was feeling confident, so his three ball started going. And then he felt confident enough to make a drive and finish over AD with like three minutes left in the game. So this team is still working out a lot of the kinks. And I think there's still we're still going to get inconsistent performances for probably the next 15 to 20 games. But I think around the middle of the season, they'll really start to figure things out as the rotation becomes more solidified. And I think, like I said, I still maintain that this will probably be one of the final four teams in the West unless they get a weird first round matchup. Like if they match up against the Lakers in the first round, probably not going to happen. Clippers, probably not going to happen. But anybody else in a seven game playoff series, I still think they'll be good enough to be in most of those games within that seven game series. And then it comes down to, do you trust anybody besides LeBron or Kawhi over Steph in the final seven minutes of a game or, in the, you know, the final six minutes of a game. And I wouldn't. Right. So anybody else in the Western conference, as great as, as Jokic is, I would still want Steph in the last six minutes of the game over him. So this team has a long way to go, but I'm, I was expecting them to be like, to have maybe five wins at this point of the season, you know, 13 to 15 games. And I was expecting them to be four or five games under 500. So I'm really pumped about where they're at. Yeah. I think, uh, the, one of the biggest things that's been a pleasant surprise to me has been their defense. Um, I was a pessimist as it related to their defense because of the fact that I thought Clay Thompson was a huge part 
uh, of what they were able to do defensively. Uh, and what has been what has been a, a pleasant surprise is Wiggins fl- has been flat out good for first a guy. First team all defense. First team for, all for, defense. For, Let's start it right now. First team for, all defense. Andrew Wiggins. <laughs> and that very well may be it may end up happening here. Really good. The truth of the matter is, is like that. That's what's making this work. Like the the Warrior defense was always built on a handful of things. You know, Draymond Green just being the, an absolute unicorn on the defensive end of the uh, the floor as a as a small ball five. You know, a guy that you couldn't post up, but at the same time was like flying around and moving around enough that it made up for some of his shot, uh, his uh, size shortcomings. And then it was always built on a couple of really, really good perimeter wing defensive players, which used to be Clay Thompson and Andre Iguodala. And in now, in this case, it's Ubre who was flying around last night too, and and Andrew Wiggins. And you know, Steph, I'm, I'm going to pay him another compliment here. Like Steph is not a great defender; he's an average to slightly above average defender. But what he does is he commits himself on that end of the floor which is more than just it it it, it takes him from being a below average defensive player to an average defensive player because that commitment and focus matters but most importantly it trickles down his 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 commitment to being an impact defensive player even though he doesn't have the physical tools just trickles down in effort to everyone else on the roster like make no mistake you know one of the biggest reasons why uh uh the laker defense is inconsistent uh, even though I think when they're dialed in, they're the best defense in the league. The reason why they've been inconsistent is sometimes their best two players, LeBron and AD, come out and they're like, mm, you know, tonight we're going to see if we can win without defending. And then it's like KCP is losing guys on screens or, or taking uh, uh, sloppy closeouts and and all these guys are kind of BSing around. And next thing you know, they're they're giving up 77 points in the second half like they did last night. Like the the Steph Curry deserves credit, you know, as a leader for for being one of the linchpins of this defense, even though he technically isn't that great of a defensive player, you know, with with what he brings to the table physically. So that, that, that I've been really impressed with. That's something you can build on. And, you know, I'm with you. I wouldn't pick them over, you know, uh, four or five teams in the West. But if, if they're if they're in a series against anybody that's not one of the L.A. teams, they've got a real chance because they can guard. And because they have a really, really good alpha that's going to go toe to toe, or if not, be better than any player in the league. And so that that's what what you can build on. But the key there is like, you know, with Wiseman, your, your brother in the comments is asking about Wiseman. The thing I would say about Wiseman is like I I try to be consistent with this stuff. Like you're tempted to hold on because of potential. But you don't want to pull a Danny Ainge, you know, like and what I mean by that is like, like, for instance, Kyrie, Kawhi Leonard and Al, Hor- and Al Horford probably wins an NBA championship. They probably do. OK, but Danny Ainge was tantalized by Jason Tatum. Now, Jason Tatum is one of the best 10 to 12 players in the league. So that's fantastic. But he's a top 10 player in the league or fringe top 10 player in the league that was on a different timeline than Kyrie and Al Horford at the time. And so the, 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 the problem that you have here is Wiseman very well may end up being some freaky Chris Bosh mixed with LaMarcus Aldridge hybrid beast of a big man. He, or who knows what he's going to be, but he could be something like that, but he's not going to be that for several years. And so you have this, this, 
predicament here where you have to decide whether or not you want to commit to this timeline or kind of have one foot in one foot out and maybe you have fun with Steph his last few years but you don't win any titles and then you go into the the Wiseman years and now he's the best player in the team but maybe things don't work out with some injuries or some poor draft picks or you know some things don't work out in free agency and you're pretty good with Wiseman too but he, you can't win a title there like you gotta commit to something and and to me the Wiseman move here actually has kind of worked out well for the Warriors because he's shown these crazy flashes that will inevitably lead him to have some value around the league. But you've also learned that he can't help you right now. And so I think it's time for them to, to at least consider the idea that you've got this elite defense. You didn't think you were going to have, you've got Steph Curry, who clearly is one of the two best players in the league. Still like you need to push your chips in. Uh, especially if you can get a player that's under contract next year and Clay Thompson's coming back because then you can make a real run at things next year, especially yeah. with that Minnesota pick. Yep, and I think the thing is punting the rest of the prime of one of the 20 greatest players of all time, and if we're not including Will Chamberlain, the greatest player in Warriors history, is one of the dumbest things in NBA history. If you're going to say, well, we're going to have one foot in, one foot out, and we're going to try to develop this center who's clearly talented, as you've alluded to, but as a bit of a project. Like, there is a long way to go before he reaches this ceiling, and if he ever does. So it would be irresponsible, I think, for the Warriors to dilly-dally around and say, oh, well, you know, we can try to develop Wiseman and also try to, you know, try to win championships at the same time. I don't think that's possible if you're trying to play the guy 25 to 30 minutes a game. It's not going to be possible in the next couple of years because one of the hardest things in the NBA to learn is big man defense. It is so complex and complicated because you are accountable for basically everything. And almost every possession at some point, he looks lost. And this isn't his fault. He's only played like 15 games after he graduated from high school. Like a lot of this isn't his fault. He's just not ready. Like it's just the fact of the matter is he he isn't ready. And we know what the way the NBA works now. Somebody's going to be available in the next 12 months. You know, it might be Bradley Beal. It might be somebody else, but somebody will be available. And with Wiseman and with the Minnesota pick, you have the assets to go get basically whoever you want. You're going to have to deal probably one of those big contracts that they have on the books. It might be Wiggins, um, which I wouldn't be super keen on. But if it means you're getting another top 15 player, you probably do it right. Like you probably don't even think twice about it Um, because, like I've said, I've loved what Wiggins has done for this team so far. He's been basically everything I could have expected and more. Um, And it's funny. Wiggins isn't a role player, but he's also not a star. He's kind of in that weird middle ground where he's better than most role players, but he's not quite, you know, a top 30 level player. Situation matters so much for those type of guys, right? In Minnesota, he was basically just wasting away. He never gave consistent effort and everybody kind of just labeled him as a bust. And for, I mean, for a number one pick, he still kind of is a bust no matter what he does with the Warriors. But his effort level and his consistent approach mentally has been super impressive this year. This is a guy who, if they do keep him around, I think he can help them win a championship, right? If Clay comes back relatively healthy, 80 to 90% of who he was, and Steph is still in his prime, and same with Draymond, I think Wiggins is absolutely a guy who can be one of the five best players on a championship team. But the overall point is uh, circumstance matters so much for, for guys around the league who are not top 30. I mean, we see it every single year where guys go to a new situation. It's like, oh my God, where was this player at? And that that's Andrew Wiggins this year. And he has... I don't know if he has a legitimate case for most improved player, but I think he's going to get some votes this year. Um, and I, I've been all in on, on him since the trade happened. So, yeah, I, I've just been super, super – I just wanted to get a quick Wiggins point in because he's been super impressive. He gave – you know, LeBron wasn't fully engaged last night. I think anybody who watched that game knows that. But Wiggins gave him some problems down the stretch defensively. Like, he, he was legitimately bothering LeBron and not letting him get to his spots, and he caused a couple of turnovers. 
And that's really all you can ask of them because this year they're not a title contender, but coming back next year, you're going to need that guy who can be consistent at point of attack defensively for 30, 35 minutes a night. And Andrew Wiggins absolutely is that guy. And that's really all you can ask. Wiggins is definitely deserving of roses at this point. He simplified his game. There was a couple of things that I didn't like. He took a really bizarre step back three in the fourth quarter. That was kind of two to three offense. times a game. He still does yeah. that two to three times a game. You just got to live with it if he's going to give you the defensive effort. Exactly, and that's the thing. Like it, the you have to you have to live with that. You know, like like LeBron is one of the the two best players of all time, and I literally he still occasionally settles for a stupid three over the top of a center or whatever it is. But you know, you, you have to live with it. But um, for the most part, it's he simplified his game. He his shot chart is basically now uh, simplified down to wide open threes, the occasional pull up three, and shots in and around the basket. He's actually yeah. really good at contorting his body around shot blockers and finishing. Um, he had a big play in the fourth quarter where he attacked a closeout on KCP and drew a foul on Anthony Davis by going into his body. He, both uh, players, but yeah, yeah, he missed, he missed them both. Yeah. But but point being, like overall, like I've I was really really impressed with him. And and again, like we're gonna move on to the Lakers here in just a second. But like the 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 bottom line is, you know, Steph, you and I talked before the season that there were basically two scenarios that this season could go. It could go the 2018 Cavs where, you know, LeBron just went on a freaking like, like destruction tour individually. And the team was really flawed, but they were able to beat all the mediocre playoff teams and make it to the finals. Uh, And then there was the 2019 Lakers, you know, where, you know, injury plays a role. LeBron's good, but he's not as good as he usually is because you can tell he's pouting and 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 the team has you know some real structural flaws and they fall apart and they miss the playoffs those were the two scenarios for this warriors team now from an injury standpoint we still don't know because he's got to get through the whole season but it's very clear here early on that Steph is going the 2018 LeBron route he has been unbelievable you know for the most part including the even some of these games where he hasn't shot the ball particularly well, he is yeah. still doing all the little things. He's defending, he's leading the team from uh, by example, and he's creating quality shots for his teammates. And I have been super impressed by him. And the yeah. bottom line is, is like for what this team was supposed to be, and for the the shit hand that they've been dealt by virtue of injuries and just you know them uh, uh, Kevin Durant leaving and all of these things, they they have managed to retool this team into a competitive basketball team. And it's, I think it's a lot of credit to Steve Kerr and a lot of credit to, to uh, Stephen Curry and a lot of credit to Draymond Green. And I, and I, think that, I think that this is the problem that happens when we undercut winning on a team level. You can say all you want about how talented Steph's rosters were, and he's absolutely been on very talented rosters, but you don't just win basketball games. Like, we're, and we're going to talk about this more with the Nets here shortly, but like, you don't just walk out onto the floor and win basketball games. Ask the Lakers last night that you, you have to do all of the things that actually lead to winning and, and, and Steph, uh, Stephen Curry, Steve Kerr and Draymond Green have been winning for a long time. They know how to do it and they're going to catch you slipping when you, when you bring an effort like what the Lakers do. Um, and, and I think that, that, that was my, I'm just, I'm just paying a compliment to those guys and I'm paying a compliment to the Warriors as a unit. Yep, and quick point to kind of wrap up here on the Warriors. I think one thing that Steph and Draymond have learned how to do, and they didn't know how to do this maybe four or five years ago, and we saw this last in the 2019 playoffs as well against Portland, and even Toronto. They know how to win ugly now, right? They, 
even when things aren't going great, they didn't used to win a lot of games like this. They just kind of used to overpower you by sheer offensive force. And then obviously, you know, creating turnovers and getting out in transition. When it doesn't look great now, they, they figured out how to win games, right? Like that was not pretty last night at all. But down the stretch, they figured out how to get it done. And that's just, that's championship medal, right? It's all that cliche stuff about figuring out how to win as you gain more experience. Mm-hmm. And last point I'll make on Steph is I think it's clear that his ceiling is still a top two or three guy. The key is going to be how consistently can he get there? Is he at the point of his career where it's more like kind of late career LeBron where the regular season is a bit more up and down and he's not really giving full effort every night, but come playoffs, he can really turn it on and be that consistent guy for six to seven games of a series. Or is it just the ceiling is still the same, but he can't quite get there on the same consistent basis that he could four to five years ago. Uh, That's what, that's my only question left with Steph at this point. We've seen the ceiling. I mean, the ceiling is still incredible. It's 62 points against Portland. It's a 20-point outburst in the third quarter against the Lakers. Like, that ceiling is still clearly there. It's can he do it consistently enough to make this roster eventually when Clay comes back still a championship roster. Hmm. Nope, I 100% agree. Yep. Um, so with the Lakers, this is, you know, for all of us who do not work full time in the business, we have our teams that we watch all the games. And then we have other teams where we watch when we can, and we do the best we can to stay on top of them with our busier schedules. And, you know, for me, obviously I run a local business here in town. My wife, I have to devote a certain amount of attention to that. Otherwise you can lose the wife. And, uh, and, uh, I, I, the team that I primarily watch, uh, in addition to supplementing with other teams around the league is the Lakers. And I've watched every single game that this team has played for the last two years. And I've consistently talked about how they're kind of a Jekyll and Hyde defensive team. And uh, I get crap for it sometimes because people assume that I'm undercutting the other teams when I talk about it. And I'm not. I'm just, I'm just being realistic about the team that I know really, really well. So, for instance, like I'm, I'm going to say a lot about how the Lakers weren't taking the Warriors seriously um, that's why I'm glad we talked about the Warriors first. It doesn't mean I, I, I'm, I'm undercutting what the Warriors did last night, which was an impressive win. I'm just saying that I know what this team is, this Laker team, and I know what they can be, and I know the difference between the real version of them, you know, and the, and the ugly version of them. And, you know, the same thing happened in the finals last year. Everyone's like, oh, you're, you're, you're talking bad about Jimmy Butler. No, I'm not. I'm just saying – I know the Lakers usually don't let a a wing player play one-on-one all night. Like there's a difference between this team when they're trying and when they're not the, you know, I, I, a lot of times I have to go back and rewatch the film to really get a feel for it. But as I was watching, I rewatched most of the, of the second half uh, shortly before this pod. And I was truly blown away by how lackadaisical their defensive effort was. And there was, there was no communicating with cross matches and transition their entire pick and roll coverage was was butchered. The Lakers completely shifted shifted their pick and roll coverage to what's called a catch hedge this year. Basically, they're they're soft trapping pick and rolls as opposed to using a drop coverage. Last year with Javale and Dwight, they used a drop coverage, and this year they're basically trapping pick and rolls. They would trap pick and rolls, and nobody would rotate on the backside. Like it was, it you know, like guys would miss shots and jog back in transition. You know, Anthony Davis is good at shutting off the paint. Anthony Davis was consistently out of position as a paint defender last night. It was one of the worst defensive performances I've seen from them. And they gave up 77 points in that second half. Like it's not just, it's not just what I'm seeing with my eyes. It's a result that's happening on the scoreboard. And so, you know, for me, like it doesn't matter necessarily. Like I've said, 
all, all year long, I'm more concerned with just the overall habits of that team. And going into last night, they were the number one defense in the league, literally, even though they've been BSing. So as long as they stay up there, I'll be fine with it because uh, not up at one, but somewhere between one and seven or eight, because at least it'll tell me that they're occasionally able to turn that on and still get to that level. But all I'm saying is it's hard for me to take too much away from that individual matchup last night between the Warriors and Lakers, because the Lakers completely mailed in the defensive uh, side of the ball. Yeah, I wouldn't. I mean, if I'm a Lakers fan, I'm not worried about last night at all. Like I've said it before, like this team to me is still clearly the best team in the NBA even after the, the hard trade, which we're going to get to, I still think the Lakers are the best team in the NBA. The, their defensive ceiling is probably one of the better defensive ceilings of the last 20 or so years. Just the groups that they can put on the floor together to, to not only be physical, but guard at point of attack, obviously protect the rim. They, they are a spectacular defensive team when they want to be. But I thought basically they were focused on stopping Steph last night, but they weren't like they would trap Steph or they'd, could throw a couple bodies at him, and like you're alluding to, they wouldn't rotate out of it. It resulted in a ton of open catch and shoot open looks for for Wiggins. He got a couple butt naked open looks. Ubre, same thing. Baysmore, same thing. Uh, lazy rebounding, where like they tip a ball and they think they'd have it, and the Warriors would strip it and kick it out for a three. You're gonna lay up. That happened a couple times in the fourth quarter, actually, where the Lakers kind of had a rebound and the ball got popped out. Baysmore got a three off of one of them. Uh, Pascal got a layup to cut it to seven. This game, it was a 14 point game with like nine minutes left. Um, I, I was sitting there just kind of watching out of the corner of my eye almost because I was like, this thing's basically over. And then it was 12, then it was nine, then it was seven. Then it was, I was like, oh my God, we got a game. And it was basically a Warriors made some plays. Like I said before, the, their second unit looked amazing last night and it has for much of the season, but it was really to me more of the Lakers just being lazy and not, and it being game 13 or 14 of the regular season and them not caring too much about a team that they didn't think is on their level, which it, I mean, the Warriors aren't on their level. So you, you can't blame them in a way. But what I'd ask you is, are you worried about their ability to flip the switch come playoff time? Like if they're going to be this lackadaisical most of the season, it, does it become a concern at some point? No, I mean, it, that, that's where I like to track the defensive ratings. Because like yeah. it's, you know, to me, the defensive rating isn't about, you know, what your ceiling is as a defense. To me, it's about what your, uh, uh, what your effort and focus looks like night in and night out in the regular season. To me, like there, for instance, the uh, uh, the 2018 Warriors ended up as a, as the 11th ranked defense in the league. That tells me pretty flat out that they were a a really really good defensive team when they were trying, but that they mailed in a lot of nights in the regular season. That's what that that means to me. That I, I watched almost every game. They mailed in basically every game. They had they actually had a lot of games like the Lakers did last night, where they'd be up like. 15 going into a fourth quarter, and then all of a sudden it's a two-point game with two minutes left, and they're looking to Steph and KD to save them, or they end up blowing the game. Happened against, mm-hmm. like, Phoenix when, when they were t- terrible. It happened against the Pistons. I remember from that year there was, like, four or five games where it's like, how did they end up losing this game? But And, and it almost came back to bite them. What I'll say is it almost came back to bite them because they went down 3-2 to the Rockets, because partly because they were being lazy and they weren't coming out ready to play. And you could see in the finals that their defense wasn't really all that great. That like the the LeBron fifty one point finals game, which was a great game, it was also a terrible defensive performance from the Warriors. That's a yeah. that's a dirty little secret about that night. But yep. anyway, I hundred percent agree. But the, and so that's where the line is. Like to me, I'd like to see them stay closer to top five because that tells me that they did a better job of maintaining their habits throughout the regular season than the two thousand eighteen Warriors did, for example. 
but I'm not, I'm not particularly concerned about that. And then still, so the, the, one of the most interesting things that stood out to me at the end of that game, as I went back and rewatched the film, and you can actually find this on my Twitter feed. If you scroll through and look through the videos, I took a bunch of clips and, and, uh, and labeled them, but they scored seven points in the last six minutes. The Lakers did, and they were running pretty high quality offense. That was the bizarre part to me. Uh, going back and rewatching, there were three crazy plays. There was the two LeBron travels where he just shuffled his uh, his uh, plant foot as he was going by, which was weird because he complained after that he does that all the time. He actually doesn't. He's actually better at keeping that foot planted on on rip through drives. He just slid his foot on each of those. And then there was the play where uh, him and Schroeder got lazy on the inbound. But aside from that, it was like it was like LeBron post up wide open. Uh, three for Alex Caruso. LeBron post up wide open three for KCP in the corner that he misses. You know, like LeBron pick and roll with Anthony Davis, wide open jump shot from from 16 feet from the basket. LeBron posts up Andrew Wiggins, spins baseline, draws a foul, gets to the free throw line. Like they actually ran pretty high quality offense. Just every single one of the wide open shots they had, there was like a, a Caruso one, a Kuzma one, a, a KCP one, and an Anthony Davis one. They went 0 for 4 on. You know, and then uh, Schroeder shot was a bad shot, though. He shot that with like 18 seconds on the shot clock in transition. When they oh, no, I'm not talking about that one. He he missed one in the uh, yeah, I know which one you're talking about. The pump yeah. fake and the sidestep. Yeah, one. He yeah. another one that was a catch and shoot off of a LeBron uh, post up. Or no, it was a LeBron drive. Like he drove oh, into yeah. the track, he yeah. kicked it to Kuzma in the corner and he just missed it. But like, uh, again, all, all those clips are on my feed. You can watch them. But like, anyway, the, my point is, is like, it's funny to me, and it's one of my favorite things about the LeBron James experience is like, you know, he wasn't putting his head down and getting to the rim and getting layups. He wasn't being more of a bully around the basket as a post-up player because he was being lazy and he wasn't playing great on the defensive end. The whole team wasn't playing great on the defensive end, but it's just funny how like the bad LeBron game is like somehow him still generating just super high quality shots every trip down the floor. And it, it's my favorite thing about the LeBron Steph experience because Steph similarly had a bad game last night, although he did make a couple of huge plays down the stretch of the game. Like, but Steph and LeBron, even though they both were giving you like C minus level performances, were still just generating offense. And it's funny because like you'll see a, a clip of Kevin Durant doing a series of wicked crossovers over Chris Middleton into like a crazy leaning floater that he makes. And it's like all over house of highlights. And they're like, Oh my gosh, look at this move from Kevin Durant. And don't get me wrong. It's awesome. And as a basketball fan, I love it, but it's just funny to me because like LeBron and Steph, aside from Steph's step back, they did not have a bunch of highlights last night. That was not a highlight ridden performance from either of them, but they just made so many fundamental basic basketball plays that helped their teams and it's just crazy to me that like people don't see that. It's, it's mind-blowing to me because I don't know about you, but I've seen all sorts of chatter about how Kevin Durant's the best player in the world again on Twitter over the last couple of days. And it's like because people are just so mesmerized by the aesthetically appealing things in basketball and the, and the little things that actually help teams win, the little things that are equally as impactful as a 17 crossover pull-up floater, those things just kind of slide under the radar and no one seems to see them. Yeah, uh, not to go too much on a tangent about this, but I, I think it's still pretty clear who the two best offensive engines in the NBA are, right? Well, we talked about this before. KD might be more talented at specific skills. He's not better at running an offense or creating offense for an entire team. Hmm. Both, both those teams last night got consistent open looks when it mattered, the Lakers and the Warriors, right? It, didn't, it wasn't dependent on one guy isoing and making a ridiculously difficult jump shot. 
or, you know, finding a lob somehow after dribbling through three people. It was like, no, he attracted a bunch of attention and now we got a wide open corner three or we got a layup. That, that's literally what it was. And those are, those are the best shots in basketball and they always will be. If you can generate wide open threes and you can generate layups, you're going to have one of the best offenses in the league. Um, and the Warriors, it's weird. The Warriors offensive rating is like 20th right now. A lot of that is related to the first couple of games where they looked awful. Uh, but I think also a lot of it is playing too much Wiseman and having lineups with really bad spacing. Point being, they're still, when it comes down to it, the best at generating looks for a team late in the game. Maybe not necessarily for themselves, but for a team of players, they're still the, t- the two best at that in the league. I, I want to touch on a couple more Lakers things um, just to get your perspective on it and, and see how you feel about this team 15 or so games in. How do you feel about most of the free agent signings? Trez, Gasol, Wes Matthews, better than expected, about what expected. Do you think those guys are going to matter in the playoffs? Because that's what it really comes down to. At the end of the day, that Lakers roster was a little bit flawed last year, but they had guys who helped them win playoff games consistently. Do you think the new guys are going to help them be able to do that? Yeah, so I have complicated feelings because, first of all, I think Trez has been pretty bad. Um, I, I, especially in that fourth quarter defensively, again, he, he just, I, I, I'm low on Trez. However, I don't view him as a necessity. I view him as a luxury. So like, it's very easy for them to move off of him if they need to, mm-hmm. uh, in terms of the rotation. Uh, Dennis is kind of going exactly as I expected. He, he is he's been pretty good. He's been really, really helping them on the defensive end of the floor, but he's been super aggressive on the offensive end, which has come as good, uh, come with good, but it has also come with limitations on the rhythm of Anthony Davis and LeBron, which is something I've talked to you about a lot. Just the simple fact that, you know, the simplification of having LeBron and AD dictate everything led to them having more good nights and their good nights were just better than everybody else's good nights. And it was a lot, it helped them to win. Whereas with Dennis Schroeder, like last night, each Le- LeBron and AD each only took 16 shots in a pretty high pace game. And part of that had to do with like, there's this other guy on the floor that's being really aggressive and, and actually shooting as much as LeBron and AD are. And while it comes with good nights, like Dennis was actually making shots last night and, and actually had a pretty good game. He was absolutely but, killing the Warriors in the first half, just absolutely frying them. He was doing whatever he wanted. Destroying the big men on switches. He was playing really, really well. Yeah. But the problem is, is like, I can't ever prove this. Like, I, I'm, I'm, this is just my opinion but I've always felt like having that third guy on the floor who's super aggressive kind of messes with the give and take of the other two. And it'll actually be something interesting to watch with the, the Nets moving forward. But like, I, I, like my thing is like Anthony Davis missed a wide open 18-footer at the end of that game yep. that I kind of feel like if he had taken 20 shots instead of 16 shots – he's got a better chance of making that shot just because he's a little bit more in a rhythm and in a flow within the offense. And so that's the give and take. I, I feel like, I feel like that's just an ideology that some people will probably disagree with me on, but I kind of would prefer to see Dennis tone it back a little bit and flow uh, a little bit more through, uh, uh, through LeBron and AD. That's just, th- those are my early takeaways, but I am, I still remain more optimistic about this Laker team now than I did last year. And I was extremely optimistic about them last year. It's just, I think this is textbook defending champion, inconsistent effort. Like you're going to see these flashes where they just like, even early in last night's game, you're going to see these flashes where they just look physically impossible to hang with. And, and like, like for instance, a, a playoff series between the Lakers and Warriors is going to end in a relentless amount of post-ups of LeBron. 
Like it's because they can't post up LeBron against uh, against Draymond Green as he proved last night again. Uh, uh, Draymond Green is just unbelievable. But he's the best defender I've ever seen. Dude, yeah, he's, he's amazing. He made Anthony Davis look physically uncomfortable taking like step backs. Like it was yep. crazy. But yep. LeBron James is going to destroy Kelly Oubre and Andrew Wiggins in a playoff series. He's just going to destroy them. There are only like three or four post defenders in the league that are on the wing that can force LeBron into consistently taking fadeaways down there. It's just, and for the record, the, the, the handful of post ups that LeBron went to last night, he mostly was getting double teamed. Uh, there was a couple where he was left on an Island, namely that one where Andrew Wiggins had to foul him. And the yeah, one time they left him on an Island, he went baseline and would have had a layup if he didn't get fouled. So it's like the, 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 the what, what makes the Lakers so impossible to beat is the physicality because Kevin Durant has ever relies on a make or miss mentality, you know, or a make or miss result. You know, Kyrie Irving depends on makes and misses. Steph Curry uh, individually offensively depends on makes and misses sometimes. LeBron James can literally generate easy shots that go in every single night and, and, and then inevitably leads to a double team, which inevitably leads to wide open shots for his teammates. And it's just th- that whole that whole dynamic of that team is what is what makes them so scary in my opinion they just can physically bully you and in a playoff series that's that's too much to handle for the vast majority of the teams in the league totally agree i mean that's how they won the championship last year they just mm-hmm. bullied people. They, mm-hmm. they showed that still with all of the the emphasis around three-pointers the best trait in basketball is being able to generate shots in the paint right at the front of the rim and mm-hmm. they have two of the best guys in the league at that i would assume that as we get closer to the playoffs and as we get into the playoffs, LeBron starts to take some of those Schroeder possessions away. I would just assume that's what happens. I would hope so. I mean, yeah. Yeah. As a Lakers fan, you would, you would probably hope so. It happens every year. I, I, I think they're probably trying to keep Schroeder engaged and happy during the regular season, give him possessions. They know they're going to be one of the top two or three seeds in the West, no matter what happens, unless they get a bunch of guys out with COVID for three or four weeks. Um, so I, I wouldn't be concerned about that at all. I, I think it'll naturally happen as the season goes on and, they're going to be the best team in the league come playoff time. I don't. I still don't have any doubts about that. They're still the best team in the league. Well, you. What was the team where Anthony, the Anthony Davis sat out against the other night? I'm trying to remember. Um, uh, yeah, I'm blanking on that too. I can't remember. But anyways, Anthony Davis sat out a game. <laughs> Anthony Davis sat out a game the other day, and uh, and LeBron at the end of the game uh, was more demonstrative with Schroeder to get the ball. And Schroeder just immediately just gave it to him uh, yeah. down the stretch of the game. And they repeatedly went to him down the stretch. So I agree with you. I think, I think as things kind of get to winning time, you're going to see a lot better. Uh, um, you're going to see just a lot more like forceful nature from LeBron to kind of control the offense, which is a That's good true. thing. I, people, you'll see a lot of people get upset that LeBron is a little too ball dominant in the regular season from time to time as he's, I don't know, patting his stats or doing whatever he usually does. But the truth is, is like LeBron dominating the basketball especially in a playoff setting because of his physicality and because of his unending energy reservoir. It actually, it actually is a good offense for them uh, when it comes to that point. Um, All right. So let's move on to the nets. So uh, it's going about as exactly as it's going about exactly as, as I would have predicted uh, at least through two games, the it's important to understand that like you can't, I don't want to undersell winning here. There was a quality win against the bucks, although it did depend on a missed shot at the end of the game. Uh, but as we expected, last two games, they have a defensive rating up over 113 points per 100 possessions allowed, which ranks 23rd in the league over that span. They're not guarding anybody. 
They're basically just running up and down the floor, generating insanely high quality shots on one end and giving little to no resistance on the other. Uh, I, I, a lot of people are getting very excited about it. And I, and I understand, like, I understand like you're watching Milwaukee, who's a very good defensive team, try to get stops against this, uh, this high powered Milwaukee or New Jersey or New, uh, Brooklyn Nets offense. And they literally can't like, they're just getting whatever they want on the other end of the floor. I see that part, but I mean, that's a, when things really slow down, that's a rudimentary uh, Milwaukee offense, and they're just getting shots right at the front of the rim. Uh, like there were a couple plays where uh, um, uh, where Middleton is just going off a pick and roll and getting into that fifteen foot line, like completely uncontested for pull up jump shots, where there's literally no one within ten feet of him. They're just there. It's it's very clear to me that there are going to be games in this regular season where they just look unbelievable but that inevitably they're going to find themselves in a rock fight at some point. And, and, and I don't know that they can match the, the, the physicality that they would need to, to win that type of rock fight. What were your early takeaways from last night's game? Or I should say from the two games that they played together. Basically in agreement with what you said, but I think it's important to note right now that Kyrie hasn't been playing. And like you touched on earlier, having that third guy always complicates things, no matter how talented that third guy is. Right. Like Kyrie mm. essentially in this situation is just going to end up being like the way more talented version of Dennis Schroeder where it's like, he's pulling Katie in and Harden out of rhythm because he's taking touches away from those guys. And it all looks more discombobulated towards the end of the game. So I think it looks good right now because they only have two of the guys. So uh, it, they're going to be amazing offensively, no matter what, I'm not saying they won't when Kyrie comes back, but I thought they would probably look pretty good these first couple of games because they're, they only have the two superstars. And if those two are basically just trading possessions, you're going to have one of the greatest offenses of, of all time. It doesn't, I mean, it doesn't matter. That they're basically ISO players. They're still two of the greatest ISO players of all time. So that's going to end in a quality look, no matter what happens every time down the floor. I just, what I'd worry about from a Milwaukee standpoint is their ability to score in the half court in an eventual playoff matchup, their ability to score in the half court. And if, if it's still kind of average, that means the Nets are going to get high quality looks a lot of the time on the other end because they're cross-matched or they're getting back in transition and things are a little bit discombobulated in the eventual playoff matchup. Last night might've made me lean nets a little bit more than I would have a week ago, but we still haven't seen what things look like with Kyrie. So I, I think the nets are obviously going to be a problem in the playoffs, but if their defensive rating is going to be 23rd, they still can't win an NBA championship. Maybe they can get through the East, maybe, but I still would, I would still bank on the Sixers probably, taking them down in a series, and maybe Milwaukee as well. But last night did do a little bit to sway my opinion. I, I can't lie about it. Harden looks amazing, um, which shouldn't be a surprise to anybody. New change of scenery. He's feeling better about where he's at now. Um, I saw a tweet last night. Harden like, has his background now on Twitter as like, him and like, seven different Brooklyn Nets jerseys. Somebody tweeted, this is the most first week of work energy I've ever seen in my life. Like, he's just so happy to be <laughs> in a different spot. You and I called this for the record. Oh, we called this. We literally, like, we literally said, like, I would not be the least bit concerned that he looks like a fat, unhappy man right now. Like, no, we, we no. said this because, because it, it, was just, it was so obvious that he was going to get into Brooklyn and just be Mr. Giddy again. Like, it was, mm-hmm. it was, was going to happen. Like, it was the most predictable thing in sports. It, it's, a, it's a long season. We're going to see how this team obviously – with all the Kyrie stuff going on, they, there was already issues, you know, a month into the season that those probably aren't going to get much better. Maybe they will. Maybe they'll, they'll iron things out. And reports are that Katie and Kyrie are not happy with each other right now. And that's not just me saying that. That's some pretty well-sourced people alluding to that. 
So we'll see. Who, who, uh, anybody I would know who sourced um, it? Some people on Twitter, and then Andrew Sharp mentioned it on uh, his latest podcast with Ben Golliver, um, okay. which is a great listen, by the way. It's a subscription one, but it's a really good listen. Um, okay. those, two are, those two are two of the best in the business. So it's, I mean, it's basically sourced at this point by some pretty high-level people. Who knows if it's true? Um, but point being, they're super talented, but I, I'm still, my concerns would still be about kind of fit when all three of those guys are on the floor at the same time and whether all three of them are going to be happy. Um, the, the last thing I'll say is Harden's definitely going to make me regret uh, calling him not a top 10 player because he looks amazing. Uh, but it's always been situational with him, right? If you can get him in a situation where he feels comfortable, the talent's obviously there. It's just about you don't want him to be the the face of the cornerstone of your franchise because things are always going to implode within 18 months if, if he's that guy. But he looks incredible. So super well, he's, in a, he's in a setting where a lot of his flaws are getting covered. I think that really Absolutely. helps. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I mean, I still think like, I mean, you made a great point at the beginning. Like it's very clear, you know, when people, uh, this was, this has been a, a popular opinion throughout basketball history. Like, Oh, LeBron and, uh, and Dwayne Wade are pairing up in Miami. Like, what are they going to do? There's only one ball or Chris Paul goes to, I mean, the Chris Paul to, to uh, Houston was the best example in NBA history. Cause it's like, this is James Harden, like the craziest high usage guy ever. And then the point God, like, how are they going to make it work? And it's like, Oh, actually it turns out in an NBA offense over 48 minutes, it's actually very easy to run a give and take with two guys. You need two, but it gets way different when you add that third. And, um, from a rhythm standpoint, you're basically turning one of the guys into an over uh, overqualified spot up shooter. It works out great during the regular season when you can stagger everybody and play everybody 33 minutes. But once you get into the playoffs and you're playing all the guys 40 minutes, it gets a little bit different. And uh, I, I just think at the end of the day, you know, like jump shooting is contagious. It really is. I mean, last night was a great example with the Lakers. It's like, oh, my gosh, we can't hit an open shot. Like KCP is missing. Anthony Davis is missing. Kyle Kuzma is missing. LeBron misses an open shot. It's like you can the team starts to feel it. And it, and it becomes this contagious thing, and all of a sudden, everyone's missing. Well, the same thing happens with those isolation scores. Like, you know, KD, in a, it'll be game three of a playoff series, and they're gonna, the series is going to be tied at one, and it's going to be in the fourth quarter, and KD's going to miss back-to-back pull-up jump shots. And then all of a sudden, Kyrie's going to get the ball, and he's going to feel like an added pressure because KD basically just gave him the ball and said, like, okay, now it's your turn. Like, I need you to create something. And he's going to get to his spot and take a pull-up jump shot. But, like, he's going to be thinking in the back of his head about how they've been missing. And, you know, all of a sudden you've missed three in a row. And the other team's, like, running it down your throat on the other end with some big freak, you know, uh, transition presence like Giannis Antetokounmpo or, or, or LeBron. And they're scoring on the other end. And they're getting an easy shot, like, right at the rim. And you're, yeah. you're leaning on these, like, heavy skill guys taking these crazy shots. It's just contagious. It turns into this. And, and so, inevitably – you have to be able to weather those storms. You know, we talk about this all the time with Steph Curry. Like, uh, Samus Fondiari was talking about this this morning. This idea that, that Steph will have a high-variance playoff series, but it goes both ways. And so, you know, uh, they, they learn to live with the cold streaks because they know the hot streaks are coming. Or they, they can win in these other ways in the meantime. That's the way that a, a, a real contender like the Lakers is going to go at you. It's like... If Anthony Davis is missing all of his jump shots and Kyle Kuzma is missing all of his jump shots, 
they're still just going to generate shots at the rim with their physicality. They're going to lock you up on the other end of the floor. They're going to lean heavily on transition. A lot of like, you know, LeBron getting rebounds and outletting to Anthony Davis right under the basket or Marcus all getting rebounds and outletting to LeBron. They're going to find other ways to score. This, this Brooklyn Nets team is so dependent on winning on the strength of those three guys and their ability to create things for themselves. It's going to be it, like even even with like Joe Harris spotting up on the back end, it's like that's one small wrinkle that they have. Like, OK, you can't double off of Joe Harris. But the truth is, is that like they're going to they're going to completely abandon Jeff Green and help uh, wherever they can off the floor. They're going to they're going to stagnate you somehow. All of these NBA defenses, the ones that are actually in it to win it, the ones that are actually competing for a title, they're going to stagnate you somehow. And all of a sudden it's going to be. Those three guys looking at each other like, dude, you got to go create something. We can't like run a screen, you know, and then they're just going to lean heavily on that. They're going to miss some shots and they're not going to be getting stops on the other end. And I think they're going to lose. And uh, I, I remain confident that they're more susceptible to losing in the Eastern Conference now than they were before the James Harden acquisition. I uh, on. Yeah, overall, I agree. Overall, I agree with the premise that they're definitely more susceptible at this point, which would go against, you know, common sense since they're more talented. Like you're saying, you know, that the isolation scoring thing is contagious. Those shoulders get a little bit tighter when KD's missed two or three shots in a row and Kyrie gets open or James Harden. They're like, oh, shit, now it's on me. We've got the other team has scored three straight possessions. We're down five. All of a sudden, if I miss this one, it could be seven or eight. That stuff really is contagious, especially in a pressurized vacuum like a playoff series. So they're totally dependent on isolation scoring at this point. And end of the day, it can only take you so far. It really can't, right? There's no other way that they're really going to create offense besides Joe Harris running off some screens. So unless Kyrie, Harden, and KD all have like nuclear games within one series against one of these great teams, they probably are going to lose at some point just on the strength of, or well, the weakness of not having a great defense. The, the defense is probably going to be bottom 10, bottom 15 in the league at absolute best. So they're, they're just in a weird position the move made no sense at the time. It still makes no sense. I am slightly more confident because of last night's game, but we're still only 15 games into the season. And Milwaukee's still figuring out some stuff too, I think. They, they have a fairly new roster. Their bench isn't great, but their, their top five or six guys are pretty good. Um, so over the course of a playoff series, I would, ho- I would hope that they can figure out how to get enough stops defensively to stagnate the nets and then get enough easy looks on the other end because they are generating easy looks. It's just about knocking them down. And also, I think they have absolutely no one that can guard Joel Embiid, which is going to end up being oh, a God, huge no. problem in a in a playoff yeah. series. I, I this is a I think we're I think we're on the same page with Brooklyn. I it's, yep. it's still early. We'll see, but very. I I it's very clear to me that they that they do not have what it takes to defend at the same level as their peers are going to defend. This isn't a NBA season where it's up for grabs, and and there's no real great team out there kind of like 2019 after Kevin Durant got hurt. It's not like there's like there's, it's not like there's a void at the top of the league and some funky team can rise to the top. It's like, no, the Lakers are really, really good. You know, Philly is really, really good. Milwaukee is really good. You know, the Clippers may be better than all of them. Like all of these teams are really, really, really good. And so you're not going to win by outscoring them. That's just the reality of the way that this, the league is set up right now, but let's transition to Milwaukee. So, um, the uh, I, we all saw last night as they kind of degenerated into their typical, oh my gosh, we can't use Giannis at the end of these games. Chris Middleton has to run everything offense. Um, it's very clear that Drew Holiday right now is being very passive, in my opinion. 
he's uh, he's kind of like deferring a little bit uh, a little bit more than than I would have expected him to given the given him what they brought him in to do. Um, that said, like we had another Giannis crazy air ball at the top of the key. You know, we have uh, they're guarding him with DeAndre Jordan, literally standing at the at the semicircle, just waiting for Giannis to make a move. And uh, they're still doing this funky stuff where they're not having Giannis guard Kevin Durant. They're using him as a help defender. And I saw somebody, uh, uh, I think his name is Jackson, uh, was saying on, on Twitter, like, oh, if you, if you think that Giannis should be guarding on the ball, it's, you don't know who he is as a defender. He's better as a help defender. It's like, yeah, but now you're doing the same thing that Mike Budenholzer, uh, Budenholzer does. You're, you're refusing to adapt. Like, I Kevin think Durant, for the first 42 minutes. Like, for the first 40, 42 minutes or so, yeah, use him as a help defender. But down the stretch... He's a really good one-on-one defender. Put him on KD. Like, it doesn't have to be the entire game. Make some type of adjustment to where Giannis isn't standing off ball while Kevin Durant just generates easy look after easy look after easy look. Exactly. And that, that was the part that bothered me about it. I'm like, yeah, dude, we get it. Like, yeah. Giannis is their, basically their, their five-man in their defensive scheme, and he's helping off the ball. That's great. But also, there is a seven-foot guy who's dribbling and shooting pull-up jump shots all over the court and your 6'8 small forward is barbecue chicken right now. So you yep. need to find some way to get your best physical matchup for Kevin Durant on Kevin Durant. And, and, and again, it's, it's about adjustments. There's no doubt that you want to try to mix it up and maintain some reliance on your original scheme because you practice it so much. But throwing different looks at guys is one of the best ways to throw them out of rhythm. Literally, it's it's like it, it, it alternating between trapping and hedging, or alternating between between trapping and doing a drop coverage, or whatever it is. Like finding some way to mix things up is one of the easiest ways to throw a guy out of rhythm because he's not coming down and attacking the same coverage every time. That's uh, what teams that, started to do to Steph Curry. That's what teams yeah. started to do to Steph Curry. They throw different looks at him all game long, mm-hmm. and Bud is not willing to do that to other great players. I, it does not make sense to me. Mm-hmm. If I mean. If this is the team that they're going to be, then no, they're probably not going to beat Brooklyn in the series. If they refuse to adapt, I would think only Philly has a chance to beat Brooklyn, at least in the Eastern Conference. Yeah, no, I agree. And, and so, like, I mean, my or I've watched like three Bucks games in the last 10 days. And more or less, I feel the same way about them that I did last year. Giannis is no better than he was. Um, uh, uh, Chris Middleton is very, very good. But we've already seen on so many different occasions that he can cool off significantly for long stretches in the playoffs. It's very similar to Paul George in that regard. Like when he's got it going and when he's in a flow, he's one of the best players on the floor, but he's very capable of just kind of going it, slipping into a funk and kind of disappearing from the game for long stretches. Drew Holiday is what Drew Holiday is, a good defensive guard who's a very, very average offensive guard. Like that's, that's just the reality of the situation. And, uh, and on the defensive end of the floor, it's very clear that Mike Budenholzer is still all in on sticking to his his base schemes and and making no attempt to adjust to whatever the other team is bringing. And like you know, there were a handful of possessions at the end of that game where Kevin Durant, you know, got uh, Chris Middleton on his hip using a ball screen or using a pin down screen, and he would get into the middle of the floor and make a shot in that ten to fifteen foot range off the dribble. If Giannis is on the ball there. He can bother Kevin Durant from behind. 
he can reach over the top and grab the ball away from him as he's going up. And he's stronger than KD. He's much stronger than KD. He can be physical with him and fight his way through those screens or bump him off his spot a little bit better than Middleton can. That's Ex- goddamn sure. Exactly. Middleton can't. Like Middleton yeah. is a below average athlete at that position. Yeah. So that that's just the that that is the reality of that circumstance. And like, you know, I, I it bothers me because like I, I feel like it's this Twitter conundrum that constantly happens, and you and I talk about this all the time. Like, you know, really, really good basketball player does something, whether it's on the court or off the court, and like we levy some fair criticism, in my opinion, and then all these people come out of the woodwork and it's like, no, Giannis is great. He's a defensive player of the year as a help defender. You you don't understand. And it's like Look, man, like we get that. Like we understand that. We've all seen what Giannis can do as a shot blocker helping off the ball. But again, like watch the whole floor. Because while Giannis is excelling at shutting off the paint, Chris Middleton is struggling at stopping his man. And you have a better option there. So like like acknowledge the the the, the whole totality of what the five guys are trying to do. You know what I mean? Basketball isn't paint by numbers, right? And I, I think this is what annoys me with the analytics movement. And obviously analytics has helped the game advance to a point that it never would have got to without it. But basketball is a very fluid, creative, adaptable game. And if you're so dogmatic, like, like Bud is, you're never going to win playoff series. Playoff series inevitably end up being about adjustments. Almost every time if the talent is somewhat equal, it ends up being about the adjustments that the coaches can make to levy their talent and their scheme to win a series. And if this is who the Bucs are going to be, they have no chance of winning a championship again. I wouldn't even point to Drew Holiday being passive. I think it's like we've talked about a couple of times. He's the third guy. He's the third wheel, right? So just by nature, he's not going to get as many possessions as he should. And then on the Giannis point, He's almost regressing in some ways in terms of his willingness to like shoot jump shots or be able to make jump shots. It it is incredible to me to watch what he was coming into the league in terms of like a fluid basketball player who could make decisions in the flow and shoot like a regular rhythm jump shot to what he is now. And Mm -hmm. I've talked about this a couple of times on Twitter. I think a lot of it is just kind of the teaching that goes on in America with basketball. The emphasis a lot of times isn't on feel or playing rhythm. It's like this very like dogmatic structure. No, you need to shoot a basketball exactly like this. When we know everybody has different kind of biomechanical um, differences, for lack of a better word, that make a jump shot unique to each person. There's been great jump shooters throughout history. The three best jump shooters of all time, Ray Allen, Reggie Miller, and Steph Curry. Their jump shots could not look more different, Mm -hmm. right? The, the Steph's is incredibly smooth and rhythmic. Ray has like no spin on his jump shots. Ray has no spin. He shoots it from over his head. And yeah. Reggie's arms cross as he releases the ball. Hmm. Right? There's no one with his other thumb. Yeah. yeah. There's no one way to shoot a basketball. And if you look at Giannis's jump shot early on, it was rhythmic. It had a dip. It was a little bit slingshotty, but he could make it and he could shoot it off the dribble. He'd get to it off the dribble every time. And now he's doing this thing where it's super rigid and he's like, oh my God, he's holding on to the ball so tight at the end that he can barely even get the ball to the rim. He, I mean, he can't make free throws at this point much, many nights. So, yeah, they, they've got to do a better job with, honestly, just developing Giannis because he's obviously improved in parts of his game that have helped make him, make him an MVP, but he's regressed in other parts that matter come playoff time. And until he improves on those parts, unless he gets, like, you know, a, a, a top three on-ball creator, a guy like James Harden or Steph Curry, you know, a guard who can kind of attract defenses and, and pull bodies away from him so he can just have a runway to the rim – I don't see how they ever become NBA champions, even if they make coaching changes. Because right? mm-hmm. at the end of the day, when the game is close at the end, it's going to come down to whether how 
quality of looks your superstars can create. And right now Giannis can't do that. He still can't. I, I haven't seen any difference in, in his ability to do that late in games. Like you said, they had to depend on Middleton last night to, to create shots. And that's, it's going to go like it does with Paul George. Some nights it's going to work. Some nights it's not going to. And so now you're asking Chris Middleton to out execute Kevin Durant, Joel Embiid, you know, uh, uh, Jimmy, Harden. you yep. know, better, better, like better players than him. And yep. so you're the, and that's the problem. Cause it will like when it degenerates into that, you know, clutch physical slow down half court basketball at the end of these games, they're not going to Giannis. Like literally at the end of that game, they could not go to Giannis. And, no. and, and so they went to Middleton and he made some shots and he missed some shots. And guess what? James Harden and Kevin Durant were better on the other end. And so I, I don't really see, uh, uh, how that's going to improve this season. Like I, 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 it would just, it would require Giannis making some leap in the middle of the season, which is kind of unprecedented. Doesn't happen. Uh, so we don't have time. I don't think to get to the Pacers today. Cause I do want to, uh, spend a little more time on them. Uh, lastly for today, um, one of my friends, Ben hopped in and asked a question. He said, do y'all think you can be the best player in the world? without being an engine, like a guy that just gets buckets or a guy that's an engine. Like a, and so my question for you, just to end today, uh, ideologically about basketball, I thought it'd be fun for us to touch on really quick. Do you think you can be the best player in the world without being an engine? Hmm. I mean, I, I, because of what the game has become and how um, offensive focused basketball has become, I probably not. Right. I think we've seen over the last five or six years that when Steph Curry or LeBron James is healthy and they have at least enough parts around them, their teams end up being the best every single year, every single year. It's been the case. And the, what, but the, the years it hasn't happened, the Raptors won because the Warriors second, third best players got injured. Right. And, and that's basically what it's come down to. And then last year when LeBron was healthy, they won the championship going away. And a lot of that was on the strength of their defense, but a lot of it, too, was on LeBron James creating more quality looks than anybody else in the league, possession after possession after possession after possession. So I, I think if you put KD in the perfect situation, you or Kawhi, we've seen that they can be the best player in the world if everything around them is absolutely perfect, right? But if it's not, then I think it is much more difficult, right? Whereas it seems like with Steph and LeBron, you can kind of construct a winning roster in multiple ways, um, probably LeBron more so, but Steph, same thing. Like, like I, like I'm saying, I think this team eventually has a chance to be one of the last four teams in the NBA, this Warriors team, as deficient as they are in many areas. I still think they can be that on the strength of Steph Curry. Mm-hmm. And you, you know, I, Katie's incredible. This is not to take anything away from him. he, the fact that he's doing what he's doing coming off an Achilles injury. It can't be mentioned enough he looks basically like the same player. Maybe his rim attempts are down a little bit, but He's easily one of the most talented offensive players of all time, like very, very easily. And he continues to be that guy. But if he's not fully willing to buy in to get looks for his teammates in other ways besides his own isolation scoring or his own distributing, then he probably will never be the best player in the NBA, at least not in my opinion. Yeah, so I kind of have similar feelings like that, that graphic that they kept throwing up on the uh, on the screen yesterday of of basically how Steph and LeBron are the uh, are the people that take home the jewelry every year are a great example of, of results to back up this ideology. Cause I would agree. Like 
do I think that the a traditional bucket getter type of dude can be the best player on a championship team? Absolutely. And we've seen lots of examples of that, whether it's Kawhi or Michael Jordan or things along those lines. But the yeah. the, the the reality to me is that the key point with like Jordan, though, he was willing to use his off-ball gravity more than like Kawhi or, or Durant are. If you watch old MJ stuff, he's constantly moving and cutting and screening and getting his teammates open looks just through his gravity. Kind of similar to like Steph in a way, but obviously not not the same level. But like he was constantly creating looks for his teammates by like running triangle actions, even when it didn't result in him getting a shot. Mm-hmm. And guys like Kawhi and KD, they just aren't as willing to do that. They're going to their spots to get their shots and period end of point. Like that's what they do. But well, also MJ is just so, 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 so good at those two things. Like for instance, like Kevin Durant is this unbelievable basket getter, but he's not a great defensive player. So people think Kawhi is similar, a similarly talented player because Kawhi Mm -hmm. is a really good offensive player and a amazing defensive player. At least he used to be at at some point in the past. So, you know, MJ was the both like he was like MJ was Kevin Durant offensively with Kawhi on the defensive end of the floor, all combined into one player. So that that's the difference between MJ and these other guys. But the point to what that I'm trying to make though, is that from a value perspective, it's the reason why LeBron, even though he's a less polished skill player than a lot of these other guys. And the reason why Steph, even though he's less physically imposing than a lot of these other players, that it's the reason why those two are so impactful. It's just to me, you know, running a style of offense that involves you seeking out looks for your teammates primarily and then attacking offensively when you can fit that around that. To me, that will always be a more impactful kind of basketball because it keeps your teammates engaged and it, and, and it feeds their confidence and like, you know, I, I don't think it's a coincidence when you look back through NBA history that there are huge role player performances from these guys, whether it's Andre Iguodala making a bunch of shots in the 2015 finals, or if it's Draymond Green scoring 35 in game seven of 2016, or if it's literally like J.R. Smith, like lighting up uh, other teams, or if it's uh, uh, another great example last year, it's like, oh, Markeith Morris went five for five from three in the first half of this game against Denver or, or whatever it is. It's like they're that's all a product of consistently depending on those guys throughout the season, consistently making them feel comfortable, consistently uh, uh, keeping them involved in the offense so that they inevitably are going to have these breakout games. Yep. And, and, and it just, it just, it just to me, it, I don't want to, I, I think you got to be careful with this stuff because you don't want to give them all of the credit. Like I don't want to say LeBron is the reason why Markeith Morris made a bunch of threes, but the truth is, is I do think that he, helped him get to that point where he was able to maximize what he does in his role. And I, I just think that that brings more value to the table, you know, within a vacuum, you know, you might take an MJ over a LeBron because MJ was so great as a defensive player and as a scorer. Uh, And you're right. Like he did, he was more willing to buy into the system, but inevitably I think like, uh, like an average superstar scorer versus an average superstar engines, so to speak, I'm always going to pick the engine in the sense that I just believe that style of basketball is more conducive to winning. For yep. instance, I would take a I would take a Steph over a Kyrie. This is a great example because like Kyrie is a more skilled basketball player than Steph in everything but shooting. You know, like he's got more gifted finishing moves around the basket. He's got uh, a, a more uh, diverse a pull-up jump shooting game, and he's got a much better handle in my not much better, but he's got a better handle in my opinion. But Steph is a much better player. Because organically, what he does for his team is so much is so much better. And Kyrie, ironically, is is the the best example to use because Kyrie, in my opinion, is 
one of his biggest weaknesses is his inability to, to feel the flow of a basketball game. And that's the reason why those Cavs teams never won and why those Celtics teams underachieved is it, it was like, you know, one game in Milwaukee, Kyrie's going off and, and the Bucks can't do anything about it. And he puts up a massive scoring number and they win. But then the next four games, it's like, oh, he's shooting more towards a traditional shooting percentage, but he's not keeping his teammates involved. Yeah. Jason Tatum's literally like off the reservation mentally, doesn't even know what to do. Jalen Brown's hiding in the corner. Like they just don't know what to do because it's, it's not a style of basketball that is conducive to consistent winning, if that makes yeah. sense. Yeah, and it's it's funny. We as bad as LeBron and Steph played last night, both their teams got quality looks the entire time down the stretch. There was a couple of possessions late where Brad Wanamaker got a driving layup, uh, kind of like finished around AD on a driving layup, and then got a transition layup off a Draymond Green bounce pass. Both times, if you watch the first one, the driving layup, it's Steph was like kind of near the play, then he vacated to the corner, and Dennis Schroeder was in his position to help, and then he ran out to Steph because he knew he had to cover him. Same thing in transition. Wanamaker's cutting, and Schroeder's caught between two. Schroeder runs that step at the three-point line and, and Wanamaker gets a wide-open layup. And I don't think there's any two other guys in the NBA who generate looks like that for their teammates consistently. And mm-hmm. that's why their teams always end up winning games because they get the best looks night in and night out. And I get it. It's, it's about aesthetics. Like, sure. like, you know, there are a lot of people that watch Kevin Durant play basketball and they're like, my God, this guy is the best basketball player I've ever seen. You know, there are people people that feel that way when they watch him. And I I can't argue with you about the way you feel about that kind of thing. You know, it's, it's no different than the fact that the Steph fan base and the LeBron fan base are literally at each other's throats when the reality is, is they should be on the same side because they, they champion the same ideals, which is like, you know, leadership, uh, caring more about winning than anything else. Uh, doing all of these little things that impact winning that go beyond the stat sheet and, and, and beyond their own individual highlights. Like those two, those two players are, are so similar, even though they look so different. It's so ironic that their fan bases are, are at each other's throats. Uh, but the reality is, is like, like some people watch Kevin Durant and they're blown away by what he does. And you can't argue with them aesthetically. Uh, and, and, and I, and I can't tell, I, I can't argue with you about that either. Like when I, when I go to the, the, to the park or to the gym and I work on my game, I'm not mimicking LeBron. He's not a skill player to emulate. Like I, I get that. I do. But I, what I love about LeBron is, you know, I can simplify what he does down to results that are, that are strictly based on the, on winning and all of these things. And that's what's so cool about having him as potentially the greatest basketball player ever is like, that's a guy that you should emulate as a playing style, not as a skill style. Like ideally, if you could combine the, the two, you'd have this like superhuman basketball player that would never lose a game. But it's like you guys like Steph and, and LeBron, they are the guys that people should be watching not these Trey Young and James Harden types that lead me to go play pickup games at, you know, uh, at the local park before the virus. And I'm seeing some kid take 17 dribbles into a step back jump shot. I'm like, what are you doing, man? Like, you're not that guy. Like, I don't know what, I don't know what you're doing. And and then inevitably that team ends up losing. Like, it's just the, it, I, I, I feel very passionately about this uh, because uh, like, I, I think it's important for the health of the league too. You know, like I, yeah. it, you want to, to champion guys that do the things that lead to winning. Uh, but yeah, you, I'm not, I'm never going to be able to, to convince you, that LeBron is a better player than Kevin Durant by using anything other than the fact that he's won. Like yeah. that's literally all I can do because he doesn't, he doesn't tangibly do anything better than Kevin Durant other than pass the basketball and defend, you know, like, yeah. but, he, 
but he just he understands how to win basketball games at such a high level and there's no real way to quantify that other than hey he's literally won four championships and been to the finals 10 of the last 14 years yep. that's all i can tell you you know and i think you can you can boil a lot of Giannis's issues down to like being told to lean into like a more hardened type of style right we're like you got to be the, the guy that creates everything it's like no dude you could be like the best screener in the league if you want to be yeah what if he was no russell you could be one of the best cutters in the league you could like Giannis has so many things that he's not tapping into currently because he's been told oh you got to be this on-ball creator oh just bully everybody and dunk the ball it's like no you have so much more in your skill set learn how to cut learn how to screen learn how to like pass quickly and make quick decisions so you know instead of your teammate getting a half contested look now he's getting a wide open look like it's all these little things that both like you're alluding to Steph and LeBron do that it's stuff that you really can't quantify right mm-hmm. it is good as like tracking stuff and analytics have got you still can't quantify the things that they do on a night to night basis besides you know every time the PIPM numbers come out or like this new LeBron metric those two are always near the top right they're always at the top because they consistently affect winning more than anybody else every single year mm-hmm. yep i 100% agree Yep. Uh, well, I've taken your time for an hour and 20 minutes yeah, um, and we awesome. still didn't get to everything we were supposed to talk about. Um, but we got a long season and plenty of time to cover everything. Um, everyone who hung out and watched, I really appreciate you guys and I appreciate your support. Tommy, I hope to, I'm out of town from Saturday. I'm going to park city uh, for one last ski trip this year. Although I may do a couple day trips. I'm like completely hooked on skiing now. <laughs> But I, I plan on, uh, I think I get back Tuesday night. So we'll probably okay. shoot for Wednesday or Thursday at that point. Perfect. Let's do it. All right, man. I will yeah. uh, talk to you next week. Everybody else, enjoy the rest of your night, and we will see you soon.